Welcome to the latest podcast from UK Hospitality. This podcast looks at how seaside towns are working to improve their attractiveness. And in particular, we are visiting the most famous British seaside town, Blackpool. We'll be talking to senior council officials, business operators and the local MP to examine what the future of Blackpool and other seaside towns looks like and what their thoughts on the recent budget are as well. I am with both Gillian Campbell, the deputy leader of Blackpool Council, and Philip Welsh, who has a particular responsibility for tourism and communications. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Um, if I might, let's start by looking at the local economy here in Blackpool at the moment. Given that uh, a recent report showed that a very high amount of people are on benefits here, what are the council doing to improve the lives of the community? That's for me. Uh, okay. Well, there's lots of things that we do. Uh, I mean, obviously, tourism is greatly important to Blackpool. There's over 24,000 people who are actually employed through tourism. So it's about extending that offer, but also looking at branching out in other ways. So trying to get more businesses to come here uh, and, and kind of be more attractive than we are to business at the moment, because we are at the end, end of the M55, uh, so it can be slightly difficult. Uh, but we, you know, we've got quite good uh, sectors, food sectors, um, uh, and, and various other things that are growing at the moment. So it's about saying, you know, Blackpool's open for business. Uh, and trying to be as attractive as we possibly can be. Uh, we have an enterprise zone uh, at Blackpool Airport, and obviously that comes with certain benefits, having an enterprise zone, which is fairly new. Um, but there's quite a, been quite a few hundred jobs created there already, or safeguarded, moved to the airport. So it's about being as creative as you possibly can be. You touched on uh, investment in the town from external organisations. Um, organisations such as Merlin have been very active in, a, in, I believe, a private-public partnership here. And also, we have the new Sands Resort opening soon with Peter Swan. What challenges have you met, though, to, to attract those bigger, more household names into Blackpool? I, I think in the case of Merlin, that, that was quite a, quite a sort of unique partnership. It, it came about because we decided to uh, bring the Blackpool Tower uh, into public ownership. Blackpool Tower, of course, is one of, one of the UK's uh, most famous... Uh, tourism assets, um, and we from that very point we went into a into a partnership with Merlin. Uh, the benefit um, from from I guess from Merlin's point of view is that uh, we have a, a an audience of circa eighteen million visitors a year, um, and from our point of view, Merlin bring with them uh, a quality benchmark, uh, which is really important in the story that we're trying to tell about Blackpool. That this is not a this is not a fading seaside resort. This is a, a resort that continually re reinvents itself for, for new generations. When we look at tourism and hospitality as a whole, and the fact that it employs around a third of all the people in the UK, it's obviously important to um, have people think about it as a career. Uh, what steps are the council taking to help Blackpool encourage people, once they finish their education, to think about a career in Blackpool, apart rather than just head down to uh, Manchester or, or the other big cities? I suppose it's fairly difficult. When I moved to Blackpool, um, I started in the tourism industry um, and I've ended up where I am now. I'm not quite sure how that happened, but there are jobs out there. But the problem that I think all over the country with uh, jobs in the tourist industry is there 
they're generally not very well paid and they're not salaried unless you're at a certain level. So it's about trying to uh, change the, the mindset that tourism is only, it's a job that you just go into if you just want to earn a little bit of money. That's right. Um, and I think that's the difficult part, it's about seeing it as a career rather than just a job. Uh, and, and I think that's fairly difficult, even for us as a council. Um, we do have a, a um, tourism academy, uh, which is one of our colleges. Um, but, you know, my son, for instance, works in the Winter Gardens. He uh, works on the bars, but he wants to be a scriptwriter. He'd never think about going and maybe working for Merlin or, or something like that. Right. Um, because he's 21, he's, 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 he's aiming high as he possibly can. Now, that's not to say that he won't actually come back to Blackpool at some point and end up working in that, that sector because it's a growing sector and we need to recognise that. And, and I think the, the, the part of the purpose of the Tourism Academy was to, to, to give people career structures. Um, tourism isn't just a, a seasonal employer. Um, some of the big organisations in, in Blackpool, such as Merlin, such as the Winter Garden, such as Blackpool Pleasure Beach, uh, they offer full-time employment uh, and, and they do offer career prospects. And you know, bear in mind that Merlin is the second biggest uh, operator in the world uh, after right. Disney. And, uh, and they give people transferable skills. Um, so, part, so part of it is trying to sort of do away with the perception that tourism is just something that you do until you get a better job. Yeah, I think that's right. We, we, we recently saw an all-party group examining it, that, that fact. And, and there's, a, I think, a, a big government-led initiative now to, to position tourism as a career. But when we look at um, coastal economies, highlighted that um, the inquiry into coastal communities recently, um, it was shown that only 2% of people visiting seaside towns, including yourselves, are from overseas. Do the council have any initiatives to try and attract people from overseas to visit the town? Yes. Uh, I mean, it's slow burn. I mean, a, a lot of that is about connectivity. And I think if you, you, know, if you look and drill down into the statistics for the UK as a whole, um, there are uh, obviously millions of international tourists coming to London um, but very few of them step out of zone one uh, of the underground right. um, zoning and part of the UK's challenge is to is to spread some of that and, and to share some of that I think it comes down to um, really strong uh, connectivity and packaging I think our opportunity is in the development of flights from places like China into into Manchester uh, I think we've got a much better opportunity to uh, to capitalize on international tourists coming into the northwest and then coming up with r really good cohesive packages for them to be able to get here and experience some of what we've got and I don't think it's any great secret that ballroom dancing for example is, is a hugely popular in China That's right. and, and we've got two of the best ballroom assets anywhere in the world and it's finding ways to capitalize on that. You touched on transport getting people here Obviously, there's the airport down the road, which is in the enterprise zone. Yeah. There's also a northern enterprise zone as well, I believe. Yeah. Is there uh, a requirement to have a central organised uh, ent enterprise zone as well? Mm, I think, from our point of view, the the, the airport is is a very focused piece of real estate. Um, it's got a commercial airport on there. It's not operating large-scale commercial flights, and we don't envisage that happening again for the foreseeable future. But it is a working airport. It supports the offshore industry, and the offshore industry is one of those sectors that will, in time, develop 
some alternative jobs outside of tourism for Blackpool. Um, but we've got a really interesting piece of real estate there that we can use to attract um, investors and new sectors into the resort. So from our point of view, having uh, something in the middle of Blackpool, in the heart of Blackpool, is much more valuable to us than having something that spans uh, you know, a much greater uh, sort of area around the M6 corridor. We also saw in that report that for the, since 2015, city breaks are now attracting more people than seaside towns. What's your reaction to that? Why do you think it's happened? And what would you encourage the government to do to try and reverse that? I think some of it is about recognising that, that tourism, that seaside tourism is invaluable to, to the UK economy. I think sometimes it, it is a little bit too easy to to build on the um, on the growth of, of big cities like Manchester and Birmingham and, and Liverpool and London, and and point everybody towards t t towards those places. I think that misses a trick. To be honest, you know, we, we have got the the biggest collection of branded tourism attractions outside of London, and the one thing that Blackpool has always traded on is fun and entertainment and affordable fun and entertainment, and we do that really really well. Indeed. Finally, clearly, from what you're saying and what we spoke about earlier, everyone here is working as hard as they can to improve the lives both of the local community, which is obviously important to the local economy, and the visitor experience. Is there a kind of common shared vision amongst the council, the people who live here, and the operators for where they see Blackpool maybe in the next three to five to ten years? Um, yeah, I think there's definitely a shared vision between the council and the, the operators. Sometimes it's hard to get the community on board uh, because they seem to think that everything that we do in Blackpool is for the tourists. Mm. Um, and I suppose to a degree that that's right because it brings, as Philip said earlier on there, 18 million people a year, 18 million visits a year. Uh, and they are spending money in the local economy. And so it's keeping shops open, it's keeping people in jobs, whether they're working in a hotel. Um, but the, the community themselves seem to think that you know, everything we do is for the tourists. And that's not the case. It is for the town, it is for them. Um, so I think we need to get the message right. And we've been trying desperately hard for years now to yeah. say that, you know, we, yeah, we are doing, say, the railway, uh, the, the tramway extension right. to, to North Station. That's not for us. Well, no, but it will be in time. You know, it's about making connectivity better for people who say live in Fleetwood mm -hmm. and need to get the train to uh, from Blackpool North every day. Well, they can get on a tram and get straight to Blackpool North Station. It's it it it's everything, isn't it? And but it's it's a hard thing to communicate to people that we're doing it for them. I I think the really interesting thing is that I mean I, I I've been around Blackpool for a very long time and one of the things that's happening now and will really start to become tangible over the next three to five years is that we've got some really good projects which are which are under under construction. So if you look across the horizon, you'll see the brand new conference centre. Uh, which is really important in terms of positioning Blackpool as an all-year-round destination. And conferencing was always very big business in, in Blackpool, yeah. wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Like and we hope it will uh, be again. Uh, yeah. Conferences here. Yeah, and we've got four, five new four-star, five-star hotels under construction, which will support that conference, uh, that conference venue. So it's about repositioning Blackpool, and I think people will only will only start to believe that Blackpool. Is, is moving to a, to a much, much better place when they see those physical projects come to, come to reality. Yeah, and we're not very far away from that. Excellent. Thank you so much both for joining us today. 
um, and we look forward to seeing the development of Blackpool over the years ahead. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. I've now taken a short walk down from the council offices to the Winter Garden and I found myself sitting with Anthony Williams, the sales and marketing manager of the famous Winter Gardens. Lovely to see you today. I have to say I'm absolutely chuffed to be sitting in the famous ballroom. Um, could we start by just asking you to outline for us what your role involves and what your priorities are right now for the Winter Garden? Of course. Firstly, welcome to the Winter Gardens. Thank you. My role ha as Head of Sales and Marketing is looking after the entire Winter Gardens product range. So that goes from our entertainment product, which is some of the biggest shows in the Opera House, We've also got a conference offer as well, so the entire venue can be taken over by political parties, by unions, and by associations that will come and hold their major events here. So it's looking at both angles of bringing in the business-to-consumer visitors for our entertainment product, but bringing in those business visitors as well for the big conferences. We were talking on our way in here about the fact that you are a Blackpool lad, born and bred, and um, obviously you will have seen a lot of changes. You've been in the Winter Garden for about four years, what improvements have you seen in those four years? What would you like to see in the next year, next couple of years? In the past four years, the venue has been is being transformed completely with the, the money Blackpool Council putting in for the renovations to bring it back to the, the beauty that it was when it was originally built, putting the pride back into it as the, as the civic pride in Blackpool, making people proud to have a Winter Gardens on their doorstep. But it's not just the Winter Gardens, it's the entire resort that's changing, that's developing, with it, whether it be the, the redeveloped tramway, the hotels that are coming in, the electrified train line. The resort is totally different from when I was growing up. So the Winter Gardens, it, as you mentioned, is rich in history. We've had Royal Variety performances here. We've had the, the famous Rolling Stones uh, concert here. You mentioned the redevelopment. Can you see a time when those kind of events will happen again at the Winter Garden? I think they're happening on an ongoing basis. We still get legendary gigs going into the, the Empress Ballroom, and it was the Rolling Stones which made it so famous by actually doing damage to the Empress Ballroom, crashing chandeliers, wrecking their um, dressing room. Then after that, everybody wanted to play that venue from Queen Oasis. But most recently, and only last year, we had Blur. We had a sellout gig with the script. The Royal Variety was only six years ago now, so it wasn't that long ago that it was in our opera house. Blackpool is there, and it's back on that number one circuit for the biggest shows, the biggest events, and it's getting there for conferences as well, especially with the new build. Yeah, you mentioned the new build and the new hotels. Clearly, we've seen in the last few years a return to what is known as staycations. Have you seen more and more people from out of the northwest coming to Blackpool and visiting your venue? We have. It's definitely shown in our figures. So from when we revisited the big summer seasons where big shows come in for a long period, that was back in 2014 with Mamma Mia, we managed to get a person from every single UK postcode to come into our venue, and that's the first time in probably 15, 20, 30 years that that's happened. We're now seeing that expand. We're seeing people from right across the UK making multiple visits to the seaside. Clearly there are still some challenges though. Um, if you had one wish for the Winter Garden, one wish for Blackpool, one message to government, what would that be and um, who would you really like to see visiting Blackpool more in the future? I th the biggest thing that we still need to change in Blackpool is the stigma and the perception around the resort. Blackpool didn't help itself in the 1990s, but since then it's come right through that and we're back to being that big family the first choice for a family destination, the biggest, the best attractions, the biggest and best shows, and we've got one of the best conference offers in the UK. 
basically what we want to do is try and change that perception that's the biggest thing we want to do going forward it's not the buildings we've got the buildings we're doing the building work we're doing the groundwork but it's changing people's mindsets that blackpool is the place to be going forward i noticed that one of the uh councillors on the opposition side wrote recently about the antisocial behaviour being a problem in Blackpool. Is that something you're particularly familiar with, concerned with, or do you think that that's just something that comes and goes as it does in a lot of major conurbations? It happens in every single place. It's an easy thing to highlight the problems but not look at the, um, the positives sometimes. But it's, it's not a major issue in Blackpool. It happens like it does in every other place, but I feel more than happy walking through Blackpool Town Centre at any time of day with the work that goes on through the police, through Blackpool Bid, through the Improvement District. Everybody is working together to make it a safe and family-friendly resort. Thank you so much for showing me around. Thank you for chatting with me today, and uh, good luck uh, with the future redevelopment of the Winter Garden. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I'm now joined by Claire Smith of Stay Blackpool. Stay Blackpool, which was formerly the Blackpool Hotel and Guest Association, has been promoting Blackpool since 1946, and it helps visitors to do several things in Blackpool. Welcome, Claire. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Perhaps we could start by you just outlining, for those who don't know about Stay Blackpool, what your role is and, and what you're trying to achieve. Well, I think Stay Blackpool has three roles. Um, it's a members association, so first and foremost, all the members have to have uh, a national accreditation, be it with uh, the AA, Visit Britain or the Blackpool Approved Scheme. So all our properties are, are graded, so you know at the very least they're legal, safe and clean. And I think that makes us kind of the forward-thinking Blackpool uh, landlady, guest house owner, B&B owner. And as I said, there are three arms to what we do. First and foremost, we have um, an All Singing, All Dancing website to promote our members to the visitors out there, um, to draw them in to get heads on beds. So that's the first uh, and probably one of the most important parts of that. The second role is about being um, a portal for information. So one of the downsides of being a, a B&B owner or a guest house uh, owner is that you have to do everything pretty much in your own business. You can go days without crossing the threshold. Um, you, you are all encompassed. There are so many elements. You have to be a cook, a cleaner, a, a website wizard, a marketeer, all those aspects. So we, we try and make it as easy as possible for you. So we let you know about uh, changes in legalities, in compliances, any scams that might happen to be out and about, any good things that are, that are going on, any changes in the, in the marketplace and, the, and guest needs. So we share information amongst each other to, to help us you know, do the best we can. And how many members would you have at the moment? We have about 150 at right. the moment, yes. Um, and then the third thing is, um, I said, we are very much on our own. So if you need backup or support, where do you go? So if you're a member of Stay Blackpool, we are that. We are your backup and support. It's, it's really amazing. You can be doing this business for years and years, but still something new will crop up that you think, oh, what do we do about that? How do we handle this? Um, if, it's a, if it's a legality, then we can find out for you. We can point you in the right direction, um, uh, uh, anything in that regard, but also general day-to-day -day stuff. So a bit of a, a backup support, somebody to turn to when, uh, when things aren't going quite as they should. And Blackpool's obviously changed a lot in the last 15, 20 years, still changing. We're seeing the beginning of some larger brand names coming in, building larger resort-type hotels. Smaller bed and breakfast, smaller guest houses have found it hard to stay relevant and stay viable. What are you encouraging your group members to do to embrace the change 
so they don't miss out on the, the future boom of the Blackpool economy? It's all about staying relevant. Um, you've got to constantly, constantly um, reinvent your product. Uh, be very, very aware of the changing guest needs. You know, um, when we started out, the, the people were asking for ensuite bedrooms. Then they were asking for no smoking rooms. Then they were asking for four poster beds. Then it was whirlpool baths. Um, then it was Wi-Fi. Now it's coffee machines. You've got to keep, keep on top of those. Um, and and the, the only way that we can compete really with the, the big brand names is personal service. We've got to go above and beyond. We've got to go one step further. We've got to, you know, tell them about the best shows, the best places to go, the, the best ways of getting around town. We've got to supply all that information. We've got to, um, we've got to interpret, you know, what, what their needs and requirements are. And we've got to have them in place before they realise they need them. So that's the only way we can pick, we can compete. And that's by staying completely relevant, keeping our product absolutely in top form and up to date, uh, keep reinventing ourselves um, and pushing the personal service above and beyond. So have your members seen a benefit from the likes of Merlin coming in and investing in putting on their, their, these big attractions. Have you seen a benefit? Or? Absolutely. Merlin completely has changed the town. They were, they were one of the, the best things that's happened to us for many reasons. So we, the people of Blackpool, own Blackpool Tower and the Winter Gardens, but obviously the council can't run the tower um, and we wouldn't want them to. But uh, Merlin came in, they, got the, uh, they won the tender to, to run the attraction. And part of that deal, we had a Louis Tussauds, which was um, a little bit embarrassing. So they they got rid of that and brought in a brand new all singing all dancing Madame Tussauds um, under the tower we had a very old and dated aquarium so they that's took right. that's right yeah, yes they, do you remember, I do remember yes that, yeah. it was it was fabulous but it was very old and very dated so they, they took the aquarium out put the Blackpool dungeon in so a brand new a new attraction there the fish from the aquarium went into the sea life center so that was all redone to to encompass the new fish so basically over a very short period of time only a couple of years really we almost had you know four brand new attractions and then as a result of that the pleasure beach you're thinking oh oh gosh perhaps we need to up our game the sandcastle you know so so it really really did change the face of blackpool and they're 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 all quality attractions so yeah uh, thank you merlin <laughs> <laughs> and, and future investors of that size so I know you're aware of the report of the inquiry into coastal communities um, that uh, we chatted about uh, before we before we started recording. In that, it was mentioned that in 2015, city breaks have attracted more visitors than seaside towns. What's your reaction to that? Why do you think it happened? And how do you think that people like yourselves, working with Merlin, working with the council and other operators, can start to reattract both people from the UK and even overseas visitors? I think we have to shout about what we do. Um, I think it was, suppose, I suppose it was bound to happen. You know, when we started out 26 years ago, cities, you know, people left the cities for the weekends. They didn't go um, to visit them. Um, 
But now it is, and it's not just, as you say, it's not just uh, cities in, in our region or in our, our own country, it's cities abroad as well. You know, flights are, are far more accessible to these places now. So again, we've just, we've just got to get our heads around that and, and adapt and change. When, when my, um, my, we're third generation hoteliers and my husband's grandparents, they, their booking book showed fortnight stays all the stays were a fortnight my husband's parents hotel guests they stayed for a week we've got to get our head around the fact that people are going to probably have you know we're not going to get as many weeks anymore we're going to have short breaks but if we can get a short break in you know either side in the summer perhaps in the illuminations and people have their main holiday abroad we've just got to get used to that and as i say we've got to continue reinventing and upping our game and introducing something new you know we've had a new ride on the pleasure beach this year 16.2 million for for icon but that's been a huge attraction something new something to to give people um you know, another reason to visit Blackpool and and that's how we've got to do it you know we are we are surrounded by um, lots of lovely lovely B&Bs in Blackpool we're surrounded by lots of other destinations we've just got to do what we do really really well and keep on banging our own drum shouting about all the wonderful things that we do do I would imagine that you would have welcomed a change in VAT uh, in the recent budget which which we didn't see Um, given that that doesn't look like anytime soon what other things do you think government could do to help your industry and in your town there's a lot that government government could do um, the fact that the fact that they didn't reduce uh, VAT was a huge disappointment I don't think people realize how important this is so before a guest crosses our threshold 20% of whatever it is they're spending, so let's just say for, for easy reckoning, £100, 20% of that is immediately gone on VAT. So easy reckoning, that brings it down to 80 Most people these days use the online travel agents, so Booking.com, Last Minute, Late Rooms, Expedia, Trivago, there's hundreds of them. Uh, most people these days, for ease and because they, they provide very good directories and so on and so forth, book through an online travel agent. I don't think people realise that their commissions are between 15 and 20%. No, I didn't realise that. No. So with every booking that we get, we're losing 20% in VAT. So say £100 down to 80 Say 20% for because that's the, the top end of the, the commission. So that's £40 gone. Most people these days play, pay by debit or credit card which means we have to have our, our PPC license we have to be compliant with that which costs us £10 a month we have to pay rental for a card machine which is probably about another £10 a month and then we pay two three anything up to five percent if you know on the on the American Express cards corporate credit cards so we've got another five percent easily out of the window so before I guess walks through the door we've got 45 percent of, of that amount of money gone before we start on staff, heat, light, electricity, laundry, food and all of that. So it's really difficult and to, to reduce the VAT would have been would have made such a difference because the first pot of money that goes when you're paying out all the, and there's a hundred licenses we have to have these days, music licenses, motion picture licenses, we pay for our accreditation, we pay for our, our gas certificates, our PAT testing, you name it, we pay for it. So 
thinking about the issues of tax, obviously, again, mooted recently, much discussed, a tourism tax. Do you think that would have an adverse effect on the amount of people that come and stay? Or do you think that that would be a welcome extra um, no, I th I, no, absolutely not. I think a tourism tax is definitely not the way to go. Um, we are already so much more expensive to, especially foreigners coming to this country. Again, 20% VAT. Um, the airport APD, airport passenger duty that they pay. We, we are actually <laughs> trying to make it as difficult for foreigners to visit us as possible. So no, I don't want um, any more taxes for, for people to and pay. And do you see on the subject of international visitors, um, the stats show only about 2% of, of international visitors find their way to a seaside. Are we seeing, apart from the sort of festivals that are put on, are we seeing more international visitors in Blackpool? We are seeing steadily, very slowly, but steadily we are seeing uh, an increase in, in the numbers there. We are here, um, and again, we, we need to do more to shout about this. We are a, an easy halfway spot. Um, foreign visitors especially come to, to visit the H uh, cities. So they'll go to London, they'll go to Edinburgh, they may take the Lake District in on the way up. We are a nice halfway stop-off point and we need to shout about the fact that we, we offer a completely different experience. There isn't a Blackpool anywhere else in the world. That there, there is nowhere outside of London that has as many visitor attractions in one spot. And Blackpool is a nice size, it's easily walkable. Um, right. So And we're flat so, so it's a great place to visit, but we have to do more about shouting about that. One of the costs that you mentioned earlier, just to pick up on, was staff. Um, staff in the tourism hospitality industry yeah. is, been a, is a big concern due to the possible outcome of Brexit or not. Are your members concerned about continuation of labour, or are they uh, happy with the fact that Blackpool doesn't rely quite so much on migrant workers as maybe the bigger cities. I, th I think that is one thing in our favour, that we are not quite so reliant on migrant workers. A lot of our members are um, couples with one, two, maybe three members of staff. It's things like the workplace pensions that, that's had the impact. You know, we're not only paying the um, minimum wage, we're having to pay the living wage. And all these things have come together in such a, all these things have come together in such a short period of time that suddenly we are finding that you know 50% of our turnover is is literally out of the window and the first pot of money that goes is your reinvestment part and that's vital because if we don't keep reinvesting in our product then we have a, a decline um, it's, a, it's a downward spiral completely and that's the beginning mm. of it so we've got to have that money to reinvest in our product and keep it you know keep everything up to scratch so let's learn, let's let's end on a more optimistic note uh -huh. we've touched on the things that aren't quite so good what would be your vision for blackpool over the next three five ten years and what's your sort of message your positive message shall we say to the to people in the uk and in, indeed to government about people returning or coming to blackpool for the first time um i think I think one of the most important things to say about Blackpool is that we all we say is come and have fun. It's that simple. There's no hidden agenda, just come and have fun. We have got so much to do here, whatever the time of year, whatever the weather, and that's really important in this country. You know, if it pours with rain, 
we can still find you lots to do. If the sun's shining, you're out and about on the pleasure beach, on the piers, on the beach. If it's pouring with rain, you go in the tower, you go in the, um, the Sandcastle Water Park for the day. There is so much to do and for every member of the family. So I don't think many resorts offer all that. Whatever the weather, whatever age your family consists of, we, we can find you something to do. You will have a great time. I also think that with, with Merlin coming in, that was the beginning of it, um, we are now attracting an awful lot more of uh, investment. So we've got the new conference centre uh, attached to the Winter Gardens, which does two things. Um, that is, is going to help us uh, attract business tourism, which is more all year round. Um, which means that you know we can we can stay open longer. We can uh, we can retain our staff better. You know we're not going to have to lay them off at the end of the season and, and take them on again. So the the conference centre will attract business tourism, new business, and of course we do run the risk if someone comes to to a conference and has a great time, they may come back later in the year with their family. Uh, but also, the the money that has been uh, put aside for this will also help to improve the facilities that we already have in the Winter Gardens. So um, our, our biggest spenders in the town, really, we, we, have, we host World Dance Championships. They are a huge part of what we do. Um, but we need to keep improving their facilities. So part of the money will go to, to, uh, to do that. So that's kind of affecting two uh, lots of people. You have to bear in mind that Blackpool has the longest season of all the seaside resorts. So if you're thinking of setting up in business, come and do it here. You know, we've got nine weeks longer than everybody else. When other seaside resorts are, are closing down, when the children go back to school at the beginning of September, we're going up three gears. We've got the illumination. So we finish first week in November. So, so from a business um, perspective we've got another nine weeks to to get some money in so there's and we've got new new um hotels coming which will attract a different demographic so that will therefore feed the shops better you know more money being taken in the cafes so we've got brought more brand names being attracted and as i say you know the the attractions that we have here the the pleasure beach are always looking to reinvent we have amazing shows at the winter gardens we had our first summer season show three or four years ago now mamma mia we hadn't had summer shows in Blackpool for probably about 20 years. Um, they were expensive to run, um, stars didn't want to come and stay for a whole summer, um, TV with the advent of TV and film and all of that. So we lost our summer season shows. About three years ago, three, four years ago maybe, we had Mamma Mia for an eight week run. It was a phenomenal success. And that then, success breeds success. Of course. The shows we get coming to the Winter Gardens are absolutely amazing. Cost me a fortune in show tickets. Um, so an awful lot going on here, an awful lot to, to be proud about, and an awful lot to look forward to. Very exciting times. You started the answer to that question with come and have fun. It's certainly been fun chatting with you today. <laughs> I've really enjoyed it and learned a little more about Blackpool. And uh, good luck to you and your members as, uh, as Blackpool continues to evolve. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you. So I've wandered now back into the uh, centre of Blackpool to meet Peter Swan. Peter is building the fantastic new Sands Venue Resort Hotel and Spa on the site of the old Palace nightclub. Peter joins me now and, and thanks for doing so, Peter. Um, I would imagine there was some surprise when you announced your plans. And so what was it about Blackpool that made you want to invest 
such a lot of money in such a big project? I don't think it's the investment that actually first grew, you know, drew, drew me here. I mean, um, you know, I'm a big football supporter and a big friend of mine was Frank Carson, who came from Blackpool. I know Frank for a long time. Uh, first met him at uh, uh, on Tiswas, believe it or not, when I was 14. Um, and we sort of were invited to the Royal Variety Performance when he was uh, a guest here with the Queen. And we came up a few days before, went to one of our football matches. Um, ended up travelling down from Workington to, to Blackpool, uh, to stay in Blackpool, um, with, a, with a few interesting uh, sort of stories on the way. Uh, and then we got into Blackpool and um, uh, we stayed at the Savoy, um, which I thought was similar to Savoy in London because I'd not been to Blackpool for a long time. So I was quite surprised when I got there. Um, still, still very old fashioned and, and, and probably, uh, you know, 20, 20 years and 25 years, it really hasn't changed. So obviously we, we stayed at the Savoy with a, um, a few interesting things happened. Uh, Frank would always, I'll tell you what, I'll start again. <laughs> Let me start again. I'm trying to price it, but it would be probably better if I don't price no, it don't. And, just and, just, it. and just go through it. Okay. okay. So okay. I'll, I'll keep yeah. okay. Peter joins me now, and thanks for doing so. Peter joins me now, and thanks for doing so, Peter, on a busy day. I would imagine there was some surprise when you announced your plans. So what was it about Blackpool that made you want to invest such a lot of money in such a grand project? I think it's previous connections and, and seeing Blackpool was really a destination that I'd visited many a time uh, as a young man. Uh, and most recently, probably the one that really sort of turned it around for me was uh, a visit to the Royal Variety performance with Frank Carson. Um, one of the most amazing sort of three days of my life. Um, I'm a big, fantastic uh, football supporter and I owned Games of Trinity at the time and we were playing at Workington. So uh, we decided to make a weekend of it up to Workington, back to Blackpool and watch the Royal Variety, which would, would be amazing. Um, and Frank, um, with all his entertainment and all his friends, um, making it a weekend to sort of remember. Um, so we got to Workington. I remember the game was going to be uh, a tough one and it was one all and we we're on our way down and stayed uh, somewhere near Kendall. Um, I'd already got the uh, Gainsborough venue up and running for maybe three or four years, which was a, a jazz venue. And we started putting tribute acts on and... And, and really trying to do something completely different, um, which seemed to work. Uh, certainly the quality of food and, and the way we uh, presented ourselves uh, was ahead of the time for quite a few um, of the venues. So, you know, coming to Blackpool um, was going to be a great weekend for us. Um, I say the first venue we stayed at in Kendall was a bit of a busman's holiday. We arrived, it was pouring down with rain, as you can imagine, and uh, um, in December it was cold. Um, we didn't really get the service we required. It was it was quite a, a funny one. We took it tongue in cheek, and we were due to visit the uh, Savoy and Blackpool, so we didn't know what to expect. Uh, probably not to the levels of London, but we hoped it was going to be better. Arrived there, and you know, five to three, um, the room's not ready till three, sir. Five past three, we were there shown to our room, which actually was was pretty poor room, and we decided to try and stay somewhere else. And you can imagine on a Royal Variety weekend that was going to be tough. We then managed to get into the Imperial uh, for a couple of nights, we thought, um, which meant that we had to pop back to the Savoy for, for Frank's entertainment in the evening, um, which was amazing. Um, but on this occasion, halfway through the night, there was a huge crash and uh, one of the chandeliers had fallen on one of the round tables. Fortunately, nobody was underneath it. 
Um, but for the rest of the night, after the staff had cleaned up and just carried on as normal, um, most of us were sitting in our chairs, shuffling the tables around, trying to avoid the chandeliers in the room. Um, the, sh the show that Frank puts on was always amazing. Had some great guests, um, but this night the PA wasn't working as well, so it was pretty much acoustic. Um, we went back to the Imperial in preparation for the next day, um, only to get up into the morning to find that they double booked our room, um, which meant that we were having to find another room. So our third evening was to be in the Best Western, the night of the the, the, the theatre performance, um, and we were kindly housed in the. Uh, in the curry section of the hotel, right above the curry house, which was not a problem for me, but was a problem for our clothes and everything else. But we managed to get through it and go to the Royal Variety performance, which was amazing. I, I thought it was one of the the, the best evenings I'd, I'd seen for a long time. Um, and uh, Unfortunately, I was dragged up to do a waltz uh, with Andre Rue <laughs> at, at the time. And um, but I looked around and saw that a lot of people were there for the you know were there for the entertainment. Um, I could see that Blackpool probably needed something. I'd passed the the old Palace nightclub where I'd spent some of my youth um, watching Hitman and her and doing some dodgy dancing for for most of my youth um, and saw it was empty. So even though my wife was trying to convince me never to come back to Blackpool because our experience was sort of not the best. I came back a couple of weeks later and um, I actually took on the lease for two floors of the uh, the Old Palace um, and decided to put my venue in as a test. I think we, we started working on it in the May and then the August we opened from August to December. And clearly that was successful and, and led you to absolutely to, to the next stage? Yeah, a lot of people came and said that the town was waiting for a venue of that sort. We Our, our food, um, our service levels, uh, at-table service was was ahead uh, of a lot of the places and something different for Blackpool. So we thought that was a great base. Um, and as we're here over, over the last sort of seven years um, developing, um, we bought the gift shop and the tattoo parlour downstairs and turned that into the Wild West Diner two years ago, just as we started plans for our hotel. So uh, the Wild West Diner is really successful. So that's been expanded from 85 covers to about 120. Um, so we're expecting that to open the same time as the hotel. And, and just outline for us the nature of the hotel, the size, the scale, and, and kind of the offering that, that it's going to have once it opens, I believe, towards the end of next year. Yeah, hopefully December next year. We're, we're all planning for that. Anything can happen, but we're all planning in for an opening in December, which will be, which will be really nice. I mean, obviously, I've stayed in, in many hotels uh, in Blackpool for the last seven years and travelled the M62. So... Um, I, I felt there was a niche in the market for a uh, for a quality hotel, but it had to be a five star, you know, not a three and a half, four star boutique hotel. Let's go for a five star hotel and offer something really special. And we we did our work over two or three years talking to all the celebrities and and the people who came and stayed at the Sands and watched the shows, and we got a feeling that there was a, a certainly a place in the market for it. So I would imagine you've worked very closely with the local council. And also be interested to hear what the feedback from other operators might be about you bringing such a premium uh, hotel to Blackpool and whether you've re received the level of support that you hoped. Yeah, I, I think generally everybody just sort of rubbed their eyes and said, really, <laughs> you know, are, are you actually putting a five-star hotel in? I said, yeah. And, I, and then as soon as they realise it's actually happening, um, because a lot of things don't happen, 
and we got it through planning and then you know the council have been very very uh, supportive um, work very closely with us and, and we'll be delighted with that it, it's very difficult as a business when you're when you own your own business you move very quickly uh, you know they, they do very well but they move very slowly so we're, we're having to having to rein me back a little bit but we, we've, we've managed to get there there's been a few hurdles but we get there now and um, you know we're into our main construction stage now um, and, and we're very excited about it as I imagine uh, a lot of people um, who live and work in Blackpool are too the Chancellor has uh, recently outlined his plans his, uh, for the future um, what further steps would you like to see Philip Hammond take regarding your current investment in the hospitality and entertainment sector that you've been in for a while? Is there anything particularly that comes to mind that he hasn't helped you with? Uh, I think I think we'll wait and see actually how Brexit affects us. I'm I'm hoping that you know whatever happens, um, English and, and UK uh, seaside resorts will start to flourish. Uh, certainly for the first couple of years, as we as we start to establish ourselves and find out how easy it is still to travel around Europe and and everywhere else. Uh, you know we've seen a growth anyway um, in Blackpool over over previous years, and I'm sort of targeting a different market of people who who perhaps who would travel and go home, maybe from Manchester, surrounding areas, who actually might decide to stay on a Friday night and pamper themselves and a Saturday night and then go home on a Sunday. You know, the stayers that, that probably haven't had a hotel to stay at. You know, there's plenty of choices, but we're just offering something completely different. And I think that's been accepted by a lot of other hoteliers. Um, a lot of other businesses um, really like the idea of us being here because they'll have a place where they can bring their customers uh, and hopefully impress them. You touched on Brexit. Um, one of the key issues of Brexit is the supply <coughs> excuse me, of labour. Um, when we talked to a, a, another operator, he used the phrase that he was terrified of not getting enough applications for the roles he had. Can you see a similar situation in Blackpool or do you think the demographic of the, of the market is less reliant on migrant workers? I found it very hard to get to get the, the standard of worker I want I found it very hard the ones that were left were ones that had been with us for nearly the whole period of time five or six years so we did a lot of in-house training I think um, more is needed on that side of things you know more link-ups with colleges and universities um, more courses uh, more support from the government you know if, if we've got six or ten trainees on I know we can have them as apprentices um, and we could probably give them jobs so I think it's just an expansion of what they're doing at the minute. I think they need to look at the VAT side of things, certainly for, for seaside resorts that would help us, and business rates. You know, rates on hotel rooms is, is quite a lot of money. You know, I, I believe it will cost me somewhere in the region of £400,000 a year on rates on my rooms. You know, if, if that can be helped locally, um, because obviously I think it's centrally uh, worked, then that would certainly help us and, and, and other more, people come in. And that will bring more people into the town, which Absolutely. is good for the local economy generally. Yeah. Finally, um, as we look forward, obviously your vision of, of, of the opening of the hotel, do you have a vision for what Blackpool might look like generally over the next five to ten years, with you very much as a centrepiece of it? Well, I hope we drive further investment. I, I hope that you know I can invest in other projects in the town. I'd like to do that. I like to work hard in, in, in driving it forwards. I'm in entertainment. That's that's my business. 
Um, I think I'm in the, one of the best places in the UK. You know, we have our problems here in Blackpool, but then again, every every place does. That's right. Um, we have got you know some hurdles ahead of us, but I think certainly the local the local government, the local council are working very very hard to, to make it work. There's huge investment in Blackpool. Um, there's some fantastic things here that that just need a, a little bit of a helping hand. Um, you know, the projects are can we can we class ourselves as a Vegas? Uh, of the UK and I, I think we have to I think we have to take take note of how they are successful they bring in the best shows we're starting to do that they have purpose built buildings we're starting to do that and I think as that starts to grow other business will come and invest I think recently a few of the hotels have been bought by investors from uh, Singapore and Malaysia right. um, which is great news they obviously see something as well um, it does mean that some some of the uh, some of the B&Bs and some some of the other smaller hotels may struggle but you know what we've got to do is try and support the ones that want to continue and, and, and go on uh, and try and make it a success uh, and by working to de- together over the next 10 years we could put Blackpool back on the map as a destination for 20 25 million visitors a year one of the things you can, you mentioned there was getting people here transport to Blackpool has been a subject of, of much debate. The the train service direct to, to London is only just really started this year. The airport isn't really a commercial airport. Can you see any investment in those areas to try and attract people from maybe further afield than the northwest? I think obviously access now via the M55 is a lot easier to get to us. I think the train routes are absolutely crucial. Um, yeah, we are going through a very difficult time at the minute with that, but HS2 um, will you know have a huge impact on us um as already the direct links do i mean we've just got to make sure we keep on top of that and it's the right people running it um as for the airport i think what they're doing with the airport is correct i mean they they haven't got the figures i think they were only getting a third of what they needed to keep it open as an airport and then we're losing millions of pounds a year that that's not good um but a commercial airport would have been great for us at some particular time and who says that might not work again the enterprise zone is a great idea and will bring a lot of jobs um, but it's not, you know, you only bring the jobs if you bring the people in, um, you know, to visit all the attractions. And the more access, you know, the greater access we have via train, plane, automobile is, is only going to benefit us. Thank you for your time. Great That's to hear from you. Good luck with your opening, hopefully, at the end of next year. Thank, Thank you. you again. No pleasure. My final guest as we think about Blackpool and other seaside towns is Gordon Marsden, who has been the MP for Blackpool South since 1997. Thank you for taking time to chat with me today, Gordon. Pleasure. Having been uh, the local MP for over 20 years, you've obviously seen many ups and, and many downs in that time. But can I start by just asking you to tell us a little bit how you became the MP for Blackpool? Well, I suppose the, I suppose the, the smart answer is I got elected. Uh, but the, no, the truth is I grew up and uh, um, was born and raised in uh, Manchester and Stockport. And uh, when I decided that I wanted to try and become an MP, which was in the late 1980s, um, I, I really wanted to be a Northwest MP. And Blackpool actually um, figured very large in my childhood because my parents always carted me off. Uh, literally, I used to go on the Golden. Uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember the old Golden Mile and the, the grab machines and uh, the amusement arcades, and we used to go. Uh, when my father had a car largely on a daily basis but we did stay there so uh, Blackpool was actually um, the first seat that I applied for I was fortunate enough to be selected as a Labour candidate never been a Labour seat before 
Uh, I stood in 92, uh, didn't quite make it in 92, but was elected in 97, and I've been there ever since. And in that time, you've um, had a keen interest on the development of seaside mm -hmm. towns. We were talking before, uh, just a little bit about you being the chair of the All Party Tourism Group, yep. president of the British Destination Association. In that time, what improvements do you think there have been in building the economies and the image of British seaside towns? Well, it's a very good question, and it, 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 it's, it's still a work in progress. Uh, uh, when I came in as an MP in 97, and of course there were lots of other new MPs, and many of them uh, on both sides of the house representing seaside and coastal towns, um, but what I was acutely conscious of was uh, the huge part that seaside and coastal towns played in our culture, in our tourism and That's everything right. else. But actually, we didn't have very strong, compared to other groups like you know, the in old industrial towns or rural areas, and that, we didn't have very strong lobby groups, uh, and particularly in Parliament um, on the Labour side, because we haven't actually had many Labour MPs. I was the first ever Labour member of Parliament for Blackpool. So decided to set up um, uh, this Seaside Towns group. Uh, and of course, there's a, there's a bigger truth behind all of this, which is that most Seaside town Towns, not all, but most Seaside Towns, will end up having far more in common with each other, even if they're 50 or 100 miles apart, than with towns inland. And there's a whole range of reasons for that, uh, leaving aside the tourism um, issues. Um, the, it's, the whole, it's the whole nature of the towns, the demography, you know, the fact it's 180 degrees so in terms of attracting people in terms of jobs and things like that, there are particular challenges. So, uh, and in addition, of course, the, the, the biggest challenge of the lot uh, was uh, how a lot of seaside towns coped with, uh, and this is something that had been going on really from the 1980s, uh, the, the movement away from, you know, the two-week holiday, more or less always in the, the UK, uh, factory fortnights, all the rest of that. Um, and I, in the early days, when I was trying to, um, you know, trying to, to do the publicity for this and, and, and publicise the particular interests, I was used to quote Dean Acheson, who said about Britain after Suez, you know, that, that, that Britain had lost an empire but not yet found a role. Um, and I thought, in a way, that was one of the dilemmas for a lot of seaside towns. And what the last 20 years has been about has been uh, the both individual initiatives of seaside towns and the different paths that they have taken to try and overcome that challenge, but also the need for us all to work together and network together and press governments of whatever political persuasion to understand how, just how important seaside and coastal towns are in, our, uh, are in their local economies for, uh, for tourism, but are actually huge bunny spinners um, for the rest of the economy nationally. You mentioned challenges that seaside towns have, uh, have faced. One of the ways that Blackpool have uh, looked at overcoming mm. these is to team up with, with private enterprise yeah. and to create a partnership uh, with Merlin to yeah. operate some of the, you know, the world-famous attractions. Can you see more councils adopting this? Do you think it's a sensible way forward to try and get some inward investment? Well, you've got to just slightly unpack that for a moment um, and, and go back to why... Merlin are now you know, running, running the tower and all the rest of it. Um, there's a history in Blackpool going right the way back to when the tower itself was erected. And it's very interesting because uh, uh, it, uh, the tower was uh, uh, there's nothing new under the sun and the Victorians knew about this. 
and the tower was one, the Blackpool Tower was one of a series of franchises of basically replicas of the Eiffel Tower um, that they tried to get done in various parts of the UK. Uh, I think about a couple of others got started but never got beyond the first floor as it were and then they came to Blackpool uh, and uh, there was a you know an entrepreneurial uh, a, a view on it so they, they got going and they got so far and then basically the money ran out uh, and it was um, the, the, because of the uh, vision of Alderman Bickerstaff that's why Blackpool's new council officer called uh, Bickerstaff House um, and he persuaded uh, the council at the time basically to put money in to complete the tower uh, without that it would never have happened and the echo of that is what happened in uh, the, uh, the, the mid-2000s uh, because the tower uh, and the winter gardens and, 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 and the, the whole that complex had been through various private ownerships owned by a man called Trevor Hemming. Uh, Trevor decided that you know, his finances weren't open, he wanted to do a fire sale of it. And the acquisition of the tower and the winter gardens and the various other places was a joint enterprise between the council at the time, um, uh, which, uh, which was a Conservative council at the time, uh, uh, and the Labour government at the time. And I was both obviously one of the local MPs, but I was also um, a, a parliamentary private secretary. And so the deal was done, literally, about two days before the general election campaign took off, otherwise it would never have happened. But, but, but crucial to that was bringing in uh, a, a major outside presence like Merlin, and I think they've done a fantastic job. Uh, of course, we've got our own, uh, at the other end of the town, we've got our own Blackpool Pleasure Beach, which is uh, uh, still a family-run business that pumps masses and masses of things into it. So I think there's lots of ways of doing these things, uh, uh, but they are tricky. They are tricky, and everybody has both sides of the... Of, 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 of the argument need to, need to be very straight and very frank with each other about what they're there to do and how they can work it and also of course I think in terms of local authorities trying to do this now you know 10 years on from virtually from when we did this in Blackpool we were very fortunate we just came and managed to get that deal sealed before all, all the impact on, on funding for councils and that's one of the problems I think that uh, virtually all councils in England, seaside and coastal councils um, have at the moment. Where is their money? They'd be happy to do these sorts of deals, but where is the money going to come from? That's always the question, isn't yeah. it? And, and on that subject, money obviously has a, a huge impact on the transport links yes. of seaside towns. Everyone we've spoken to has aired some frustration about the limited rail service in and out of the area. Yeah. Um, what more can you see the town being able to achieve? Do you think there's, uh, there's an opportunity to do more with the airport? Do you think that there's an opportunity to lobby the government for more infrastructure to get a more regular train, a direct train service? What, what would you yeah. like to see happen? Well, let's, let's, let's just start with the positives to, to, to start with, because there are positives in Blackpool. Um, uh, and uh, there's a whole new, a whole different story, and we'll make a book in itself. But as some of your listeners will know, Blackpool competed with Manchester in the mid 2000s to acquire Super, Super Casino, and I, I could I could write a book about that process, which I was obviously intimately involved with. But nobody got a casino in the end. But what we did get uh, uh, through, through, through dense and very strong lobbying, uh, 
with the government at the time. What we did get was the re the renewal of the tramway and and the light uh, and uh, you know a, a whole new set of, of, of light rail trams, and that has been an enormous success, and particularly uh, not just with visitors but also with with the local economy. Um, uh, and, and that is actually at the moment in the process of being extended into the centre of the town. Some controversy about it, there always is when new things happen. Um, but if we come back to the railway issue, yeah, you're absolutely right, it is a pain in the proverbial. Um, and I'm afraid it's uh, over the last, uh, again it's not a new issue, it's got much, much worse on terms of what's happened this year. I mean, if, uh, when I was, literally, when I was a lad, uh, and when uh, my parents in the 1960s were taking me up to Blackpool on the train. It took just over an hour from Manchester to Blackpool. It was only about three stops. The trains were coming in every 10, 15 minutes. Well, we know what happened. Beaching, you know, more people had cars and all the rest of it. But uh, we have been a Cinderella area. We've been a Cinderella area with network rail uh, for ages. Um, and we've been a Cinderella um, uh, issue because we're at the end of the line and not just Blackpool but other seaside towns I've talked to the Cleethorpes MP the other week who has exactly the same issues you know you get forgotten about you get forgotten about so it was good it was good that we finally got the electrification but it was not great that then um, Network Rail and its infinite unwisdom decided at the peak of our tourist season in August and September when we were just trying to encourage more people on you know stuff the lights and that basically closed down the whole of London because they didn't want to uh, do it when there were commuters there. And that actually strikes at the heart of one of the problems that we've got in this country uh, with these things, that they are far too focused on purely the southeast and, and, and on London issues. So uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, apart from dealing with in individual issues, uh, we've got to have much more devolution of power to local councils and to local businesses and you know the, the business organisations, um, so that these things aren't just dreamt up by middle management um, in network rail um, without thought of the consequences in the places that actually are generating lots and lots of money for our tourism and for the national economy. You touched on the word business just now. Um, a lot of the businesses that we spoke to, we were talking about changing the business rates that yeah. we've just seen in the budget very much welcome for the smaller operators. Some of the uh, people who also were concerned about the fact that VAT hadn't changed for their sector, and there has mm. been a lot of discussion about whether there should be a reduction or a removal of VAT. What's your feeling on whether it's realistic about a reduction, whether it would be welcome, um, and, and how seaside towns would prosper if there was a change in that rate? Well, I have to tell you, uh, you, you, you refer to the fact that I've been an MP here uh, since 1997, and I have to tell you that for most, if not all of that period, I have been lobbying governments on both sides of, 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 of the parties um, to do something about VAT on repairs and renewals, for, uh, not, not just for historic buildings and that, but also for business, small businesses. Because in somewhere like Blackpool, where we have a huge number of we have big businesses in the tourism area, but we have loads and loads of small businesses. I've got something like 500 operating B&Bs, um, small hotels, um, holiday flats, just in my constituency. Um, and then I've got all of the supporting businesses in the visitor economy and all the rest of it. Um, a lot of our, a lot of our, uh, a lot of our um, ne uh, network of 
of, of, of buildings and that are, are, are quite old and they could do refurbing. But there's not a lot of incentive for people to refurb if they know they're going to have to pay 20% on, on VAT. So I think actually one of the most important things government could do um, would be to look at reducing VAT, and I've been saying that constantly from, uh, on, on repairs and renewals. In, in, in the question of will it, make, will it make much difference, would it be feasible to take VAT off uh, you know, the tourism offer, for want of a better word? Um, the devil is in the detail. I think uh, governments of any description would be very reluctant to scrap it or put it at 5% for everybody. Uh, but I think, actually, given that small businesses are still very much the fuel of the tourism industry in most places, um, actually to do a major reduction in that for smaller businesses, if you could do that, or think of a threshold or whatever, uh, these things aren't easy, but the direction of travel is one that I think should be looked at. We can't discuss hospitality and tourism without touching on the B word, the Brexit word. Yeah. Um, again, chatting to, to other people in the area. What are your thoughts on how Blackpool could be affected by a change in the labour supply, which is, I think, the overall concern of the sector? Yes, I, I think this varies from different parts of the country. Um, For sure. And obviously, uh, lots of people doing tourism in the southeast or um, areas that are closer to continental Europe. Um, uh, are really, I think, going to be very, very seriously affected. But it's, it's, but it's an issue for all of us. It's an issue for all of us. And it, it touches on something, again, that is part of my front bench day-to-day job, -day job uh, as Shadow Skills and Further Education Minister. Uh, and, and, and we have not, when I say we, I don't mean the industry, I mean just generally, uh, we have not done anywhere near enough, and government has not done anywhere near enough, to recognise the importance of the service sector in terms of both retraining and reskilling, and also in terms of offering apprenticeships in the service sector. Um, you know, apprenticeships and traineeships are a key way of developing particularly young people's skills. Uh, they might have lots of raw enthusiasm and that, but they don't always have the people's skills to go with it. And over the next 10, 15 years, when a lot of traditional manufacturing, and, and, and that's going to be disrupted with automation and that, the things that we, the things that we will still need people for um, our health and social care to be trained up, uh, and the visitor economy. Uh, you know, we can't do everything with robots, um, and probably wouldn't be nice if, if, if we could. So, so that is a really important part that we should be doing now, Brexit or no Brexit. I think there are problems in the short term. I think the government really isn't, hasn't focused enough on it, and uh, businesses in the sector and the hospitality industry generally, I know they have been vociferous, and banging away with this with government, but we've just got to keep banging away because if we leave uh, the, the EU uh, and loads and loads of EU people who have, or, or it's actually not just EU people, it's other people who might feel that then they were no longer wanted here, went yeah. away, we would have some really severe crises in very key areas. Yeah. Lastly, um, I'm sure you'll be delighted to hear that everyone that we've spoken to is actually really enthusiastic and positive and hopeful for the future of Blackpool. But if you could just have one wish, which is what we've asked everyone, if you have one <laughs> wish for Blackpool for the next few years, what would that one wish be? Oh, well, I... Well, uh, I'm going to have one and a half wishes. One and a half, uh, uh, The reason being that... that, uh, that, that, that uh, or two wishes, really. Uh, one is that the calibre of what we can offer of our visitors is matched by the calibre of what we can do for our residents because 
Um, there are people in Blackpool who think that nothing, not, nothing can be done too much for the tourism industry, but there are a lot of people who think the tourism industry prospers at the, yes, uh, at the other side. The truth of the matter is that both sides need each other. Uh, residents won't, uh, particularly given funding, residents won't be able to get the improvements that they want in their infrastructure if the tourism industry doesn't prosper. Um, tourism won't prosper if we have a lot of disgruntled residents. Uh, and so, so there's that. So, but I think uh, infrastructure, infrastructure, not necessarily lots of huge new buildings, but infrastructure, particularly in terms of transport, not just the roads, uh, but interchange, rail, uh, uh, and, 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 and things like that. Because if we want to try and persuade lots more uh, non-UK visitors to come to Blackpool, um, then they're going to want to have really good links. It's great to be able to go from London to Preston in two hours, ten minutes. It's not so great to have to spend the best part of an hour and three quarters travelling 50 to 55 miles on either uh, one of Northern's trains or, uh, 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 well, all, they're all Northern's trains. Some of them are out of the arc. Some of them are just coming on board. Um, uh, they, need, they need better management. We need the whole franchise to be uh, done much better. Um, the airport, it uh, be nice to see the airport going back and getting commercial flights. There are various uh, inevitable reasons why small airports uh, are not doing great at the moment. And one of them, of course, is that the larger regional airports um, are, are doing very well. Um, and that's taken some of that catchment area. Well, but it would be nice at some stage. I mean, the airport, is, again, has been bought by the council, another piece of municipal investment. And it's doing lots of good, good stuff with sort of small commercial flights um, and, the and the enterprise zone, which goes with it. Uh, but uh, it would be nice to have that and just make it a situation where the millions of people who come to Blackpool every year uh, can come here to Blackpool uh, a little easier, uh, a little quieter, uh, and a little happier uh, when they get off the train. Once again, Gordon, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Our next podcast will feature representatives from the world of sport, when Kate Nichols, our CEO, will be talking about issues facing major sports and their venues. Music